Today on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, Lily and I are going to explore some four-season outdoor adventure opportunities in British Columbia's Whistler. But before we hear from the Executive Director of Whistler Adaptive, we're going to get an update from Richard Marcelet. He's the guy that raced in the uh, Canadian Death Race. Our tips and tech section is all about two-way communications and outdoor blind and low-vision adventurers. Come on, Lewis. Let's go find Lily. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily, how's it going? Hey. About six years ago, we drove through British Columbia, at least the southern part of British Columbia, and uh, we never went to Whistler. I mean, it's, you always hear about Whistler, but we never went because I was thinking, you know, it's a, a winter destination and we were camping and it was summer, so we, we just skipped it. But um, I'm wondering, you know, should we have skipped it? What can you tell us about Whistler? I came across a Whistler Adaptive. Ah. Yeah. Their yeah. goal is to empower individuals with disabilities through access to one of the world's best mountain resorts, providing them with the environment, support, and opportunity to become physically active and focus on their ability rather than disabilities. They support sport for life by breaking down financial, physical, and social barriers. You know, these barriers are, are, are a challenge for anyone, like financial, getting there, you know, taking time off work. But especially for people with disabilities, when you when you think about it, because they have to bring a guide and they have to have you know, guides that are trained to meet their special requirements in terms of making sure they're safe and any additional equipment that's been adjusted, assistive technology that's been added. Uh, there's a lot more to think about. The Whistler Adaptive Sports Program Society has been in operation for over 20 years with a record of over 3,000 lessons taught in 18 adaptive sports. 18 sports. Alpine skiing and racing, snowboarding, Nordic skiing, hiking and trail riders, hand cycling, biking, canoeing, kayaking, rowing, swimming, triathlons, running, yoga, and gymnastics are all part of the Whistler Adaptive Program. Well, that's four seasons. Oh, yeah. Their philosophies include grassroots to the podium and sports for life. Sports for life. From the beginning right through to gold medal. Yeah. I wonder what their involvement was with the uh, Winter Paralympic Games that took place in 2010. They claim they have harnessed the legacy of the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games and that they continue to champion the resort's commitment to being the most inclusive mountain community in the world. The most inclusive in the world? That's so cool. Like, I've traveled a little bit, not the whole world, but many places, and I've yet to find a built environment that's truly inclusive. I want to go. Yeah, I don't mind living in the mountains. Yeah, well, I'll visit at least. Oh, my bad. I wonder just how far they went beyond, you know, the basic barrier-free design standards. Not sure about that, but they do offer help in pulling together itineraries that include sightseeing, adrenaline-inducing adventures, Ooh. outdoor exercise, and therapeutic recreation. Activities that could include bungee jumping, zip lining, kayaking, hand cycling, and peak-to-peak -peak gondola viewing. Wow. Lily, what about costs? According to their website, Whistler Adaptive Sports Program offers bursaries of up to $1,000 to athletes who demonstrate a need for financial assistance. 
it sounds really amazing. And you know what? I've arranged to interview the uh, the executive director of uh, Whistler Adaptive, Chelsea Walker. Lily, before we do that, though, I've reached out to Richard Marcellus. Remember him from the Canadian Death Race? Oh, I, yeah. I wanted to find out how he did. Yeah, I remember Richard. We featured him in episode 30. Yeah. Um, he was competing in Alberta on the eastern slopes, right? On the Rocky Mountains? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I wonder how he turned out. <laughs> I know. Let's find out. Richard. It's been a few months now, but how did it turn out at the 125-kilometer, 24-hour Canadian death race? Uh, It was pretty awesome, but I'm afraid it wasn't as uh, great as I wanted it to. But, you know, I I tried it. I trained like crazy 70 hours a week. And unfortunately, I only got two of the five um, legs done. Leg one, we kicked butt on that. We uh, we had four hours, and we did it in two hours. Wow. But then leg... Leg two, uh, it got the better of us, unfortunately. It's it's the hardest leg, and it's pretty much 29 kilometers, like straight up, straight down, two mountains you have to summit, and the drops go on for kilometers, and the downhills have like three-foot drops. Oh, yeah. So I have yeah. to sit down, yeah. let my feet dangle, yeah. and then drop, and hope that my guide catches me. <laughs> <laughs> going down is yeah. so hard on mountains it's so hard for blind people well that's it once i drop and he catch me then we'd have to sidestep for like a kilometer down because everything's dry is slide the, the rocks are sliding mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know he would take one step and then i'd put my foot beside his foot and then we'd slide down and take another step and mm-hmm. keep doing that for about a kilometer or so and then you'd have to climb for about 10 kilometers and some of it was straight up so we'd have to fall down on our hands and feet and climb for a while like that and then you had to go through mud and water it was so exciting but frustrating even though i i added an hour and a half from leg one i still couldn't get it done so i i i still have a challenge to to finish i i'm not going to let it beat me the guys i had were amazing but i think i need some younger more kind of adventurous so you want to be able to jump off 10 foot cliffs and have them catch you instead of just five foot. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's frustrating because I know I can do like one, three, four, and five. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not the problem. It's just leg two. And it's the one that is so difficult. I'm going to do it. You Good know? It's not going to stop me. Well, it didn't stop you from running the London marathon. How'd that go? Oh my God. Yeah. That was October 3rd. And it was the best, most organized marathon I've ever been to from start to finish. Like, you know, because of COVID, they, you had to have a double vaccine. You had to show a negative test. They um, had uh, volunteers right in the subway guiding you where to get off. Instead of one starting line, they had three starting line with 16 waves each that were out in big fields. So yeah, everybody yeah. was separated. Out, yeah. So at the end, you cross the line, you go you grab your bag and you leave. So it was yeah. very different that way. Yeah. And throughout the race, they only handed you small bottles of water no that you drank and then you, you no cups and yeah. you put it in the, um, the bins that were yeah. there. There was no throwing anything on the ground or you could get disqualified. Yeah. And what was amazing is during this race it was over 40,000 people, but virtually there was also 55,000 people doing it. So it was incredible. And it's yeah. part of the major six that I'm trying to finish. Yeah. And you were happy with your results? 
yeah, like my guide and I, we're, like we're old farts now, you know, so <laughs> we're not really going for time. No, we you, just you go want to for finish fun. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just go for fun. And she describes everything to me. Nice. So if we want to stop and dance to the music or high five somebody, another Canadian, you know, we just have a great time. Yeah. So our wow. goal is really just to remember the race, remember what we saw, mm. have fun. And then when we finish, you know, it's a little slower, but the next day we can walk. You know, <laughs> we don't have to go down the stairs sideways. And, no, you know, no, no, 42 you know. kilometers, 42 kilometers. I yeah. don't think I could do that. But anyways. Oh, you, do. you could, you could. <laughs> if I train like you, but man, well, that's great, Richard. Thank you so much for the update on all this. And uh, where are you off to next? Uh, well, I just applied for Chicago and uh, Tokyo. Those are my last two for the majors. We'll see. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And then also I'm organizing uh, with my guide. Uh, we want to climb Kilimanjaro. Wow. So that's one of yep. my other bucket yep. lists. So that's, those are my three goals for the next two years. Those are lofty goals, my friend. Keep us posted. Well, Richard sure is an amazing athlete. Now let's hear from Chelsea Walker from Whistler Adaptive. Thanks, Lily. Time for the bucket list. Welcome, Chelsea Walker, the executive director of the Whistler Adaptive Sports Program. Man, I've been reading through your website, Chelsea, and it's just amazing. 18 sports and more being added all the time. Four seasons. Yeah, see, we're just so fortunate to have such a wonderful outdoor playground and so many great venues. So it just made sense to do as many different sports as possible, um, especially that were outdoor related and get people not just active, but outside in nature, because nature is just so healing. And as you said, we, we do 18 different sports on a year round basis. And um, although we are pan disability, we've been focusing quite a bit on the visually impaired community. And, um, you know, we're so excited that now that we're coming out of hopefully the backside of COVID to be able to welcome people regionally and nationally um, into our programs. Yeah, the 18 programs. You've been around for 20 years. How long have you been in the uh, role of executive director? Yeah, I've been here now 16 years. I joined um, as the first full-time paid employee. We now have five year round um, and quite a few coaches. So we've been growing, even during the pandemic, we've been growing. Um, and for me, uh, the big reason why I got involved was my grandfather was visually impaired. Um, he was legally blind and became so at around age 40. And so it was just totally natural and typical for me to guide him on the ski hill or out in a canoe or, you know, he just set an example that anybody can access sport and recreation. And he even ran the largest ski area in um, Canada for a while at that time, and which was Mont Tremblant. And so even oh. with the visual impairment, you know, he was... Um, a leader in sport and recreation in Canada. You learn from the from the hand of the master. Totally. You know, we would go skiing and fishing and, you know, like out for walks. And it just he even ran the Montreal Amateur Athletic Association for a while. So, you know, big sports center in Montreal. So mm -hmm. it um, yeah, it's just totally normal that uh, anybody can get out and do whatever they set their mind to, especially if we can adapt technology, we can work in partnership, create a really strong bond with a guide or an assistant. And um, yeah, like it's just totally natural and normal that everybody can be active. And especially in these days, we need to be more active. 
you know, they say sitting is the new smoking. And I know that I must be like a three pack a day sitter now, I think, because, uh, you know, I spend so much time. I work from home and I thought, well, I won't have to do all that commuting anymore. I just sit at home more, but I, I do get out and, uh, and I'm up and around every day and exercising. So keeping in shape, you know, and keeping active for sure. But for sure, the world of the blind and vision impaired, there's the technology can draw you in so quick. Hey, Chelsea, tell us the four seasons. What are some of the like top couple uh, programs you offer for each of the seasons? Let's start, start with the spring for, for vision impaired blind people. For sure. So as soon as we get snow off of um, off of our trails, um, we get out biking. I have a tandem. I know a lot of people do tandems, but I've been doing research on tandem mountain bikes. And apparently that's not a very safe thing to do because they're so long. <laughs> I can imagine in a bike park, you know, there's lots of berms and lots of, you know, like, um, yeah. you know, bumps that you have to lunge and to get an entire tandem over is really difficult. So, you know, they get stuck we found in the middle, apparently they get stuck they in the do. middle on these humps. Yeah. You got so to put super big tires to get the pedals way off the ground. Exactly. So you're in a 29 inch tire and it's just, they're just yeah. a bit awkward. And so yeah. what we've been experimenting with is how do we guide individuals just like you would hiking. But what we do with the bikes is you're on separate bikes and for more technical um, areas, we actually get off the bikes and walk them first. So you can mm-hmm. feel with your feet so you can get, understand what the train change is going to be and what the technical moves are going to be and then get back on the bike. And we do use a headset system wherever possible, just so that we have that two-way communication so that it's, um, cause you know, when you're moving fast and you know, you've got the wind in your ears, you know, you want to be able to have that really clear communication as that helps build trust. Man, my imagination is just running wild. Like I'm thinking about like real mountain biking, like coming down those ski slopes and the, uh, when they're all grassy, right on a mountain bike, you know, and cause really you're clear of trees and obstacles. So you could, uh, as a blind person, have a pretty nice little run down a big hill on a mountain bike with someone following behind and some communications like that. You totally could. And, and again, because there's such a range of uh, visual impairment, right? So yeah. it depends also on your visual impairment. You know, if you have, uh, you know, like center vision, you know, mountain biking can be a really good sport for you because if you're focusing on your guide ahead and you have somebody, you know, just sweeping behind and sometimes mm-hmm. we'll use two people. And the reason being it's for, just for safety reasons, right? So it's to make sure that, um, our bike park's busy, right? Or our trails yeah. are busy. And we don't yeah. want people overtaking somebody with a visual impairment. We want to create a buffer. Mm-hmm. Um, so very similar to what we do on the ski hill. But yeah, and we're still, you know, we're building out the visual impairment side of riding because it is so new, but it's just such an exciting thing to uh, be exploring and, you know, getting more people out on the trails. Okay, let's let's go to summer. What what do you got going? What's the summer popular sport? Lots of water sports, kayaking, stand up paddle boarding, and of course, you know, hiking is always uh, you know great in the mm-hmm. Alpine around here. We have these wonderful big mountains around us. But really, water sport is funny. And you know, I, again, mountain biking carries through to summer. But you know, getting out on our lakes. Um, we have a funny saying in the Lewis area where people come for the winter, but they actually stay here for the summers because the huh. summers are just glorious. You know, oh. you have not just all the alpine playground to go and explore, but you have all these wonderful lakes. And so water sports for sure are definitely top of the list. I noticed you're adding sailing and, and canoeing with uh, outrigger canoes. Outrigger canoes. And again, you know, um, these can be used across any different um, disability type. And uh, the reason why we use a pontoon, it's basically like a clamp on pontoon. So it can Mm -hmm. adapt to the 
you know, is maybe you have a little bit of a, a balance issue or you want to get comfortable in the canoe first before, you know, as you're building skill is there's no reason why not use these pontoons um, mm-hmm. to build, you know, a little bit of stability, build up your skill set. And then if you progress to the point, we can take them off. Um, we also have rowing shells with pontoons. And so the same thing, you know, para rowing um, does have a visual impaired category in the next um shells but you know why not start with pontoons on and take away that risk point of capsizing and having maybe a negative sport experience and turning it into (laughs) something that's a bit more positive and then as we build up we can take the pontoons off i love it i love it and i love the fact that you're getting the blind sailing too that's so primal you know we always think about technology you know gps and compasses and everything beeping and talking but in the end it's the it's the wind in your face, the slap of the waves against the hull. It's so tactile. It's so visceral, the, the sailing experience. It is. And, you know, the Martin 16 uh, that we have, it's, um, again, it's, it's a sailing dinghy that can't capsize, right? Mm. So it has a keel on it. Mm. And, again, it just creates a little bit of extra comfort so that um, if you're in there and you are visually impaired and you're not maybe moving around quite as fast as somebody who is sighted, is it gives you the chance to go, okay, I might heal, but I'm not going to capsize this thing. So it just gives us a chance to, to have another tool, right? Something Mm -hmm. that, you know, creates a lot of skill, a lot of freedom, a lot of independence while adapting, you know, a a dinghy to making sure that it's just has that extra level of safety, you know, moving into fall and winter. So you think about, uh, you know, we're in the swimming pool a lot, you know, that's such a great sport and creating like, and I'll speak in sport here for a sec, but, you know, having a really good cardio base in moving into the winter months and developing locomotor skills. We do a lot of yoga as well. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no reason why somebody with visual impairment can't access something like yoga with a really good instructor. Um, And again, just learning body control and balance and all these things that create, um, you know, not just exercise in the moment, but fitness for life that really is about developing physical literacy. So then, you know, when you are a little bit older, you are trying to prune that rose bush, or you are trying to change that light bulb, you're balancing on one foot is you can balance on one foot at the age of 70, and you're not going to lose your balance, right? You still have those fundamental movement skills. So it's um, super important for us to, to develop that physical literacy foundation, because it's about not just sport, it's about just walking, wheeling, gliding, skating, you know, all the things that we do here in Canada. I, I love that uh, concept of physical literacy to recover quickly from spills, right? Cause you know, falling down and tumbling and it, it's so important to be able to just roll right back out of that and, and uh, not be afraid of that and, and scared stiff, because if you fall down scared stiff, you're going to break something. I think you got to be able to laugh and roll and just get back up. Exactly. And, and be flexible, right? So the more yeah. flexible we are and the more flexible our spine is, the younger we are. So even as we age, as long as our spine is flexible and our body is flexible, we stay young. And then it, it also helps um, with bone density, right? So, you know, if you look at the bone density of 21 year olds in Toronto right now, because they're always on their tablets, it's actually worse than, you know, 70 something year olds in British Columbia who have been active their entire lives. Nordic skiing is such a great sport. And it is you know, relatively easy to access using a headset and mm-hmm. having a guide. I love cross country or Nordic skiing. I think, you know, in terms of a cardio, your arms are pumping, your legs are pumping, you're sweating buckets out there, just sweating buckets. And you feel so great afterwards. 
You totally do. And then of course I'm not to knock Alpine skiing. I grew up as an Alpine ski racer. So for me, you know, like being able to get out and um, ski with my friends or I have mm. friends with visual impairment and guide them and to know that we have the chance to all get out, keep skiing together for life. Right. You know, it's something that is so freeing to have again, the wind like whistling through your helmet and, you know, getting into the rhythm of the left and right turns. It is like total freedom. It's like a lot like sailing or mountain biking is just being able to just glide and just be free. Chelsea Walker, thank you so much for briefing us on Whistler Adaptive Sports Program. It sounds like an amazing program. Uh, Definitely visit the website folks and check it out. And there's contact information as well to get a hold of Chelsea if you have any questions. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters. I've spoken to many people with disabilities about two-way electronic communications in the outdoors. Everything from satellite phones to walkie-talkies to cell phones, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connectivity, all wireless. And you know what? There's no great solution out there. Here's what Chelsea has to say about using two-way communication technologies in the adaptive sports they offer through Whistler Adaptive. Chelsea, you mentioned a lot about the headphones. Skiing with helmets, wearing headphones, uh, how practical is that? And what sort of equipment are you using? And and what's the... um, what are the strengths that it brings? So we're using more of a program style headset. It mm-hmm. does mount in and under your helmet um, quite easily. Um, we do try to find at least three or four way radio sets. So it's almost similar to what you'd use if you're riding with your friends on your motorbikes, right? Say you're doing a bike trip and you want to communicate to your friends. Um, so we're using a very similar style in our programs. Um, and what it does is allows not just the main guide and uh, participant to speak to each other, but also maybe the sweep as well. So it gives us a chance to to have some really solid communication. And a lot of the headsets are now Bluetooth. So they're moving away from radio technology and moving into Bluetooth technology through phones, which is really exciting. So then, you know, it gives you the chance to access the technology maybe a bit more affordably once you decide to take on um, owning your own technology to do sports with your family. We do find that once somebody you know finds a really solid microphone system that works for them, um, they're getting into helmet mounts. And so instead of having something under the helmet, they're putting it over their helmet and actually mounting it on as a permanent piece. So they basically take the helmet on and off with the radio attached to it. If you do start to watch the Paralympic Games, um, you'll see, you know, there are three different categories, B1 through B3. Mm -hmm. The B2s and the B3s who are partially sighted will use the radio um, external mics. But then the B1s who are profound, You'll actually, there's Slovakians, they actually have like a big, huge radio system on the back of the guide. It's pretty wild. And so, you know, you can imagine this, he's coming down completely like profoundly blind. And so um, to be able to have that wave of audio coming at him, it's almost like not just hearing the cues, but also feeling the audio because it is so loud. It's (laughs) an external speaker. You follow the speaker down the hill because someone who's blind now to have that audio cue right in front of you, because you know, normally when I ski Alpine, I have the, uh, the guide behind me and they're calling out instructions. And then every so often you wonder, oh, are they still back there? They did, they fall down. I haven't heard anything from them in a while. <laughs> Absolutely. It provides the, the most clear picture as to what 
you're going to make a decision on in a split second because you know you're going 100 kilometers an hour at this point in some of these races. So when you're doing the biathlon, you're wearing uh, headphones as well, I guess, with your guide on the trail. And then you have to switch to a separate audio system for your rifle. Right. right? So you'd, the rifle, you'd have two headsets with you and you carry the rifle with you, right? No, the rifle for the laser setup is actually stationary. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you get, you get to the station, you get the rifle, you get the headsets and then you, you exactly. gear up, take your shots and then gear off and then back with the other gear and off you go again. Exactly. Uh, any other times you're using headphones in the 18 different sports that you're working with? We also use them when we're um, mountain biking. So yeah. mountain biking is a good use for them. We haven't used them too much in other sports just yet, just because a lot of our sports are water-based. And yeah. so we would need to find something that um, you could submerge potentially. When you watch Eric Wehemeyer in his latest documentary, The Weight of Water, you can tell for yourself that two-way electronic communications is a challenge. I mean, he was kayaking the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon and through some incredible whitewater. But, you know, more than once, his uh, two-way communication devices between him and his guides broke down. It just shows you how vital and temperamental these systems can be. Like so much technology built for people with disabilities, though, it's just not ruggedized. We need to have ruggedized outdoor communication technology if we're going to be really comfortable at doing this. Ruggedized means tough, waterproof, something that if you sit on it, step on it, drop it on a rock, it's just not going to break. If you have experience with this type of technology or some tips you could offer, let us know. Send me an email at info at blindfishingboat.com. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.